The year was uh, 2008, so it was 10 years ago. We were entering the Christmas season then, and I found myself becoming increasingly aware of something disturbing. I think I'd had that sense maybe in previous Christmases, but it was really, really uh, stopping me in my tracks that year. And I, I became clear that I wasn't really experiencing the Christmas season like it was originally intended to be experienced. I was, I was quite sure when, when the idea first came to say, let's have a day, we celebrate the day Jesus was born. Let's call it Christmas, and we'll have this day we all celebrate. And I was quite clear the idea was that for those that followed Jesus, there would just be this, this season where there was this very simple, very profound added awareness that there was a day in history that the Son of God, like the one who co-created the universe with the Father, the Son of God, was born onto this planet as a human being. And there would be this growing sense through the season of this awe and wonder and worship about this one singular simple thing. And I realized that wasn't my normal Christmas season. And, and I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. And so I wrote down the things that I found I struggle with. And I found through the years that a lot of us struggle with them. So I, I've made them plural for, for those of you that have the same struggles. I wrote down four things. One is that I tend to drift away from God rather than draw close to him in Christmas season. Another was I, I tend to struggle with overspending and overcommitting, overscheduling during Christmas season. It just gets out of hand during that season. Then I, I, I fail to nurture the relationships that are most important with me. At all times of the year, I fail to nurture those that matter most to me. And then finally, I find that I've become numb to the story that's way too familiar. I've become numb to that story. And what I realize then, realize increasingly, is, is the answer to that has to do with, with savoring the season, with savoring the season. I don't know if you've uh, used the word savor or savoring lately, heard it lately. It's not a real commonly used word. So let me give you a definition. In fact, I'll give you two, my two favorite definitions of it. Savor, actually, it's a verb, which means it's an action word. One of my definitions I love is it, it simply means to taste and enjoy completely. To savor is to taste and enjoy completely. Another definition I love is to experience and enjoy completely. And so I've been in the process of, of learning how to, to savor the season. And, and I found that over, over those four things I struggle with, there are four different things to savor in that season. Four things to savor in that season. Now, to give you a, a picture of savoring, I need to tell you that you can, you can love someone but not savor them. You can, you can love something but not savor it as well. I have a couple images I want to give you. They're images of, of dogs that Marie and I either had or have. The first is a picture of, of Biscuit, our yellow lab that we had for 12 way long years, it seemed like. Because Biscuit looks really calm there. The only time we caught her still, but it looks really calm. She had so much energy. It was aggravating. It was, it was annoying, this endless energy that she had. And I wish I had had a, a camera on my phone back in those days because I would have filmed the way she would eat food. So let me give you a, a word picture. She would brace her front legs, like brace them firmly, and then she would lower her head toward the food bowl, open her mouth, and then picture the most powerful vacuum cleaner you've ever seen. <laughs> Marie and I always said it's like she inhaled the food. She just inhaled the food. She loved it, but she never savored it. She never tasted it. And there was one time we were traveling for, we'd be gone for two nights, so there was a three-day window. She was an outside dog. Weather was good, so 
So I just put out food for three days, and I thought she would overeat a little bit, but there'd be food for the second day, maybe the third day. So I put it out for three days, this massive pile of food that cost a bunch of money. And I came by a few minutes later, it was all gone. I mean, the vacuum cleaner had sucked it off. She loved food, but in 12 years that she lived, she never savored food. So when she breathed her last, we got another dog. His name is Benji. Got a picture of him. And this is, this is my picture of savoring. <laughs> now, only God knows what goes on in his little tiny brain. But let me project my thoughts under what I think is going on here. I think Benji is looking at that dog biscuit. And, he, and he's appreciating the color and the shape and the texture. He's remembering all the previous dog biscuits that he's savored in the past. He's anticipating what's about to occur in his world. And after, after just gazing and savoring, he finally tips off his nose. And then this part's real. He takes a little bite of it. It's a little dog, a little bite. And he chews it up and swallows it, savoring every single morsel of it. And then bite by bite eats it all. That's my picture of savoring. You know, you, you can't savor when you're traveling at Mach 1. If you don't know what Mach 1 is, Mach 1 is, is a word for a term for traveling at the speed of sound. The speed of sound is 1,125 feet a second. So in one second, sound travels almost four football fields. You can't travel at Mach 1. I had a video. I should have gotten it for you guys. I was watching a jet that, that broke the sound barrier, and it broke the sound barrier over this beach. And so you can see this off on the horizon, there's this dot that's coming blurring at you from the beach's view, and then it goes right over the beach, and there are all these people on the beach, and there's a beautiful beach and sand and relationships and people and water, and, and in, in the blink of an eye, it's gone, and there's this boom. It, it, it passes you know, Mach 1, and there's this sonic boom that happens, and I was thinking about the people on that beach, and, and they were, hopefully, if they were at their best, they were soaking up people there. They were savoring people that they were with, and they were savoring the feel of sand in their toes, and they were savoring the ocean lapping up against the sand there. But the person going Mach 1, maybe he had the thrill of speed, but he didn't savor anything else about that beach, did he? You can't savor at Mach 1. You have to slow down. In fact, indeed, sometimes you have to stop. So I want to address this very first struggle that I I, I mentioned. It's the struggle of, of drifting from God rather than drawing close to him in this season and so the antidote to that is, is learning to savor God. David would write in Psalm 34, 8, he would say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. There's an example that actually uh, comes into the first Christmas, exactly, of someone who really seemed to savor God well. It's in, in Luke chapter 2. Mary's just given birth to, to uh, the infant Jesus. And uh, I'll pick up in verse 8. It says, and you'll be familiar, but listen to what happens. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. <laughs> but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news. They'll bring joy to all people, the Savior. Yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly, 
the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heavens and in peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And then the angels went back to heaven again and the shepherds were left there in the field and it says they, they promptly decided, well, let's go into Bethlehem. They were in the fields outside of Bethlehem with their sheep and it wasn't far. They said, let's go in and find. Let's find this manger. Let's find this new mother. Let's find this newborn. And they go in and they find Mary and Joseph and Jesus, this newborn child. And, and then it says that they, they told everyone what they had just experienced out in the fields. Including they told Mary and Joseph, it would imply, about the angel coming, the message he had, the host of angels, the armies of heaven singing praise to God. In verse 18 it says, and, and when they shared all this, all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. I love the way the New American Standard Bible translates. It says, but Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. She was tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. She was experiencing and enjoying completely the goodness of God in that. And then if that weren't enough to suggest that Mary was that kind of person that savored God, you read on through chapter 2 and uh, quickly it jumps to a point where 12 years have passed and Jesus is now this uh, nearly teenager and they've gone into Jerusalem to the temple for an annual festival and Mary and Joseph find Jesus talking to the most learned, most religious people of the ages there and Jesus is theologically so far above them. And it says then in verse 51, it says his mother stored all these things in her heart. She slowed down enough to ponder and to reflect, to taste, to taste and see that God's good, to experience the goodness of God and, and enjoy him completely. So, so if, if you and I want to savor God, I want to give you three very practical things that you and I could do this season. The first is this, is, is to bookend your day with prayer. Starting tomorrow to, through Christmas Eve, there are 22 days. And so the, the challenge invitation would be to bookend your day with prayer. That means to begin your day with prayer, which a lot of you do, which is really good. A lot of you begin the day with prayer and scripture, but maybe not as many also in the day with prayer. And so the challenge is for 22 days to begin and end the day with prayer. And to make it more fruitful and easier to do, we have something similar to what we had with Challenge 31 in October. Uh, Dana Aronson has created Savoring the Season, a prayer journal for us. And it goes through the 22 days starting tomorrow. You want to read the, the two pages of introduction, but I'll tell you what it looks like then tomorrow morning when you open it. At the top of every page, there's a theme because there are six themes across 22 days. The first three days, the theme is a God who speaks and listens. And then there's a small scripture, short scripture there to read, to reflect upon, and see what phrase or what verse jumps out at you. And write that down, write it down there, and then reflect on what God wants you to know is true out of that phrase or that passage. The, the thing that jumped out, what does he want you to know? And then reflect on how you would apply that. And in this setting, these 22 days, what you're going to be finding is you're learning something about God or something God's done. And part of the application would be, would be to savor God and what you've just read. To, to experience what the scriptures have said is true about him. And, and enjoy him completely in that time. 
And then finally, there's a prayer at the bottom. So that would be the daily deal. I'll give you an example. So tomorrow's passage is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. So I wasn't going to give an example. I read it, I read it quickly this morning. And in one reading, I found seven things I could savor. There are probably more. But the first one was in the first phrase. It says, it says you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. I was reflecting on my life. And I was one of those folks who had parents who, who taught and lived the scriptures from my childhood. It took me 30 years to, to find Jesus because of how messed up I am. But, but I was privileged with that. And even in that one phrase, I found myself this morning thinking about that, about the goodness of God in my life. And I got this huge, huge advantage of parents that, that taught me by, by reading and by living the scriptures and I found myself early this morning at my kitchen table really savoring God. I reflected on how good he's been to me and, and enjoying him completely in that one simple phrase. And, and there's six more I found in one reading, one pass through. There are probably more than that. But, but that's what you would do tomorrow morning. You read that passage and find one, one truth that jumps out at you and land on that and find yourself, find yourself savoring God. Reflecting on who he is, seeing who he is, and enjoying him completely. So that'd, that'd be morning prayer would be to engage with the day's journal and then savor God in light of what you'd read. That's how you would start the morning. The evening prayers, this is what I'd recommend, is to go back and revisit the day's journal, what you read and wrote and prayed in the morning, reflect upon that, and savor God again. Whatever it was that jumped out about God that caused you to say, oh my God, how good you are. And enjoy him. Do it again. And then ask yourself this question. It's at the end of the day. Where did I experience God today? Where did I experience God today? Think back through your day. Where was there evidence of him? For some of you, it may be that there, you just saw another sunrise. Yet you have one more day to live. Some of you, maybe it was you have a job you can go to. There's a paycheck that comes in. Some of you, it may have been in, in an encounter you were in. And you felt God's presence in it. You felt him speaking to it. You felt him moving that. Maybe it was about an internal struggle and you felt God meet you in that. But, but look deeply at your day. I'd be surprised if you don't find some place with reflection you experience God. And whatever that is, then savor God in that. Whatever it was, reflect upon what he did. And then enjoy him completely in that. 22 days. Uh, tomorrow through... Uh, Christmas Eve, we'd recommend that. So, so book in your day with prayers, one way to, to savor him in the season. The second is, is to walk in your spiritual pathway or pathways. Walk in your spiritual pathway or pathways. And I'll give you my definition of spiritual or sacred pathways. It's a setting or an activity which draws you especially close to God. It's a particular setting or activity that draws you especially close to God. Uh, Gary Thomas wrote an entire book called Sacred Pathways. I'd highly recommend it. Many people have written about it, but, but that's what it is. And so let me walk through some examples here. I'll give you seven examples of sacred pathways and see if, if any of these fit you. There are an innumerable number of them, but I'll give you seven examples. One is the activist pathway. This is someone who experiences God most when they're, they're in this challenging kingdom assignment. 
There's something God has given them, and it's a challenge. It's a hill to climb. They find themselves closest to God in those seasons. I think the apostle Peter was one of these. He was a guy, he was ready to jump into action. And my guess is he, he thrived most with God, most intimate with God when he was in those biggest challenges. It's probably why Jesus gave him the challenge of leading the very first church on the planet. I think the Apostle Peter was one of those. A lot of you know Ricky Bolden, who comes every summer and speaks. He's been coming for years here. I think Ricky Bolden, one of his ways with God is this activist pathway. He's deeply involved in pulling off the presidential prayer breakfast. The national prayer breakfast, he's deeply involved in making that happen. At the same time, he's deeply involved in some of the most poverty-ridden, crime-ridden areas of Washington, D.C. He's deeply involved in those. And then he finds time to fly off to a suburb of Houston called you know, Friendswood, Texas, and to teach here. I, I think he thrives. He, he feels so close to God when he's in this kingdom challenge. This is, this is one of mine. It took me a long time to figure this out, but this is when I, this may be when I feel closest to God. The way I, I finally understood that years back, the board was considering whether to start a thing called Catalyst. And, and I, I, felt, I felt such passion about it. The whole board felt passion about it. But we have, I think we have the best board in the entire world. And, and the board's part of their mission, part of their passion has been with all of our staff is to help our staff be consistently at our very best but not have burnout. I mean, they have been champions of that. They've done such a good job. So their concern was if we pursued building this, shaping this, and launching this thing called Catalyst, that I would, I would be into burnout mode. And, and they are they're incredible about that. But my passion stayed there. And with time, we, with time, we had this sense, we're just supposed to do it. And, and we launched Catalyst in that season. And it wasn't until afterwards, we were all reflecting, the board and I were reflecting and realizing when, like when, when there's this hill to climb for God, I feel so close to him. I mean, the, the energy is almost limitless in those times. Is that true for you? When there's, there's some kingdom mission, it may feel small, it may feel big, that that's when you feel God's presence most. If so, then, then that's one of your pathways, maybe your primary pathway. I'll give you another one. The contemplative pathway would seem to be the opposite of the activist. It would be if you feel closest to God when you're in solitude. When you're in reflection mode, when you've stopped and you're still, those are the times in the stillness and the quiet that the 21st century chaos has been removed. You put some walls around you from that. And in this deep silence, you meet God in that. Some of you in this room, that's where you meet him best. And some of you are sitting there, you're resonating, thinking that's where I meet him. That's where it happens for me. Then then one of your pathways, maybe your primary one, is this contemplative pathway. Stop and be still, be with him. Another is the creation pathway. It would mean that when you're in creation and you find yourself looking at it, absorbing, experiencing it, that you find yourself so close to God. That's another one of mine. I was out in our, uh, on our patio yesterday morning, fairly early, and I was looking at this um, red maple tree we planted nine years ago. It's grown pretty large through the years. I was looking at it, and, and some of the leaves on the tree and some on the ground have turned this brilliant red now. And others have turned this, this uh, bright yellow now. And then there are others that just turn ugly dead. But there's all this color on the tree and on the ground. I'm looking at that, absorbing that. And then I, I look up a little bit in the flower beds. There are these roses blooming. I think, where but Texas can you have at the same time roses blooming and leaves t- turning colors? 
But I, I found myself taking that in, and then I, I looked up at the sky. There's this, this beautiful, deep blue sky, and there are these brilliant white clouds set in the sky. And I found myself just in utter amazement at the, the brilliance to do that, the attention to detail, the power, the, the details that humanity will never fully discover. I, when I'm in creation, I feel so close to God. Maybe you do too. Maybe you found yourself at the beach just down at Galveston or Surfside or someplace. You found so, yourself so close to him. Maybe in the mountains, which means you travel a long ways from here to find mountains. Maybe in the mountains, you find yourself close. Maybe it's just in the backyard. But some of you, that, that's one of your sacred pathways. I mean, that's when you really connect with the God of the universe. That's when you can savor him in that setting. I'll give you another one. The, the intellectual pathway path. is one. It, it's, it's when you are to follow Jesus' command when he said, love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you're best at loving him with your mind. You're using the intellect God gave you, and you love wrestling within that intellect. And maybe it means doing Bible study with commentaries that dig deep into it. Maybe it means theological books. Maybe it means just thinking out the mystery of the universe. But you feel God's presence most when you're deeply intellectually engaged. I think the Apostle Paul was one of these. Man, you read his books, you read what he wrote. I know it was spirit-given, but it appears the man had a brain that actually could receive it and put it down on paper. Peter even wrote in Scripture, Peter said, that guy Paul, man, he's at such a high level, I don't understand some of the stuff Paul says. That's what Peter said. I think he was this guy that had this intellectual, sacred pathway. Lee Strobel, I think it's another. Lee Strobel was here last January. He spoke on the case for Christ if you were here, you heard him talk about his two-year intellectual journey that led him from atheist to sold-out follower of Jesus in two years. He talked about some of that evidence, and he thrives. And People that have been around him, they say that whenever he finds a new piece of data, if there's a new archaeological study about biblical things, he goes crazy. He's convinced that this one piece of data should convince the world. He's, he's in this intellectual picture. He came back in last June. He talked about the case for grace. And he's coming back this January again. He's going to talk about the case for creation. I can't wait for that when this brilliant man who's dug deeply into how this universe was formed and, and to hear him unfold for us what he's learned from that about this case for creation. Is that you? The intellectual pathways where you feel closest to God? Or maybe it's the relational pathway. For many in the room, it is. So for you, praying by yourself doesn't draw you as close to God as praying with a few other people. You pray with a few others that you know you're close to. That's when prayer really comes alive most. For you, studying Scripture by yourself isn't quite the same level of intimacy with God as studying Scripture with some friends and discussing with them. That's when you you feel closest to God. For you, serving isn't serving alone by yourself. It's serving with some friends, with some others side by side. You feel so alive to God. He's so real to you. Is that you? That a serving sacred pathway? I, I thought of uh, one of our staff instantly that this has to be one of theirs. Uh, they, they come so alive when they're just doing any kind of serving. And as soon as I thought of them, I thought of a second staff person and a third and a fourth and a fifth. Is it you? This is one of your places you connect most with God. i give you one more. <clears throat> the worship pathway, and by this I mean specifically worship with music, because we know worship 
uh, is to be many things in our life. Just music is one of those expressions. But this will be the pathway where worship with music really draws you close to God. And I would suggest King David was one of those who had this sacred pathway. You can't help but read all the Psalms he wrote, and, and you can feel the intimacy with God bleeds through the words. I think this was one of his pathways, and when he, he was worshiping God with music, I think he felt such intimacy with God. This is one of mine. Whenever, we, well, whenever I'm out of here and I'm, I hear worship music, I can feel God's presence more than without it. But on Sunday morning when I'm here with you, it's a whole new level. It's the time of the week I mostly feel closest to God. When we're here together singing to God together, there's this sacred pathway for me. Is it that way for you? Marie was laughing. Uh, sometimes uh, someone will come to me and, and say, hey, love the church, but uh, like do like three less worship songs. It'd be even better. And then the next person comes and says, love the church, do three more worship songs, be even better. And Marie and I were laughing. It's a difference in sacred pathways, isn't it? At one person, the connect isn't there. One, that is the major connect then. There's so many others. I talked to a really good friend this week, and this friend was saying that one of his sacred pathways was to travel to new places on the planet. He said, when I travel to new places, even if it's just in the States, someplace new, I, I see a new part of his creation I see a new city, a new countryside. I see a new people. Sometimes if it's around, I see a new people group. I see the beauty and wonder and complexity and diversity of God's universe. I feel so close to him. And so this person, and this leads where I'm going to make a recommendation. This person actually uses the time and the money they can to, to make trips to new places because this person knows that's when I draw so close to God. I mean, they save up money, save vacation to do just that. What is, what is your sacred pathway? Or what are your sacred pathways? You probably have more than one. Whatever it is, whatever they are, I encourage you, intentionally walk in that pathway or those pathways these 22 days. Look at your life, look at your calendar, look at the rhythm of the days, and as often as you can, walk within your sacred pathways. If it's if you're a contemplative, you can probably do it once or twice a day. You can wall yourself off, and it may be late at night, early morning, you can wall yourself off. Eventually, noise stops someday, some, some point of the day it does. Uh, it, there's some other things here that may be more difficult to do as often. But, but look at your 22 days. Think of your sacred pathway or pathways and, and walk in those as much as you can because, because you will feel God's presence. And when you do, savor him. Experience him. And enjoy him completely when you're in that sacred pathway with him. Okay, um, book in your day with prayer. Intentionally walk in your sacred pathway. One more is this, is to soak in every word of Christmas carols. Soak in every word in Christmas carols, they usually have become way too familiar for us, and so I tend to just sing through them. I love the melody, but that's all I tend to get, but I found there's so much more if I soak in the words. In just a few moments, we're going to worship God with the carol, O Come All You Faithful. So I want you to ponder a few of the words with me before we worship. It begins by saying, oh, by the way, written by Francis Wade, in 1744, 
He wrote it in, in Latin. It was translated in English back then. And so, as you know, a bunch of the words, it's Old English. You know that. O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. It's saying, all of you that follow Jesus, come filled with joy. Come triumphant. There's a message in that. There's something we're about to focus on. It means if you follow Jesus, you can come filled with joy. I don't care what else is happening. You may hold grief, but you can have joy that bubbles up through that as well. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. We're going to focus on something that, that brings those two things to heart. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. He's saying, let me take you back 2,000 years ago in your mind's eye. Let's go to Bethlehem together on that night. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. Look back 2,000 years ago. There's this newborn infant, this helpless newborn infant. Yeah, he's the king of angels. He's the king of humanity. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. He's the king of all. So come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. He's Christ the Lord. Sing choirs of angels. Sing in exaltation. He's saying while, while we're singing, at the same time, all the angels in heaven are singing as well. Maybe a different song, but they're, they're singing worship to God while we're singing. He's saying all the angels in heaven sing, sing choirs of angels while we're singing. We're singing together with you. He doesn't stop there. He's, then it goes, oh, sing all ye citizens of heaven above. And Paul says if we're followers of Jesus, we're, we're already citizens of heaven. But there's more to it than that, isn't there? Like, sing all ye citizens of heaven above. My father, my mother, they're in heaven above. Marie's dad's in heaven above. Someone you love is in heaven above. And he's saying, look, while we're singing, they're singing too. Hey, get this bigger, grander picture. Like, all the angels of heaven, all the Christ followers are there. My dad, my mom, Marie's mom, your loved one, your loved ones. While we're singing worship, they're singing worship too. Get, get the big picture, he's saying. Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. We've taken ourselves back with 2,000 years. Jesus, to thee be all glory given. Your word of the Father, now in flesh, appearing. Soak in every word in the Christmas carols. If you, like me, are prone to drift from God in this season rather than draw close, the key is to to savor God these 22 days. And one key way you and I can do it is to to bookend each day with prayer. And take advantage of the journal. You'll find them in the lobby on your way out. You can pick one up with you. But but bookend your day with prayer. Take advantage of the journal because it's going to help you focus on who God really is and what he's done. And every day you'll have one thing or maybe seven or maybe more. Focus on one of those things that you can just sit in awe of God. Enjoy him completely. And then walk in your sacred pathway or pathways saving God. As much as you can, shape these 22 days so you're living in your sacred pathway or pathways as much as you can. Because that's when you feel closest to him. And when you do, savor him. Gaze at him. Gaze at him. Savor God. And then you and I will hear a lot of Christmas carols this season. We'll sing a lot of Christmas carols this season. And when you and I do, soak in every word 
in the Christmas carols. Savor God this season. Taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Father in heaven, I I know for me, I know for a whole lot of people in this room, uh, we long, we long to savor you. We long to, in a fresh way, taste, taste and see that you're good. We long to experience and enjoy you completely, Father. We long for that. So, Father, take the things that were said today that would help each individual here. Take them and implant them in the hearts and minds of those here. And stir each one, Father, with, with anticipation and with hope and expectancy that as we lean into these things, we'll find ourselves face-to-face with you in fresh ways, more than we would have ever thought. We'll find ourselves in a position to truly, truly savor you in this season, truly draw closer to you in this season, Father. I know that that's your longing for us. I know you give us a means and a way, Father. So now, Father, we're about to, to sing one of these priceless Christmas carols we've sung so many times. May we soak in every word as we do savor you, Father. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.